So Money episode 1182, Susan McPherson, author of the book, The Lost Art of Connecting. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. We have learned just how important our meaningful connections are, right? How important it is not to take those for granted, right? And to actually stay in touch with people. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Hope you're having a great start to the week. Our guest today is a friend, serial entrepreneur and connector, communications expert, Susan McPherson. She has a new book called The Lost Art of Connecting, the gather, ask, do method for building meaningful business relationships. You know, even before the pandemic gripped the world, we had become a nation engulfed in loneliness. The loneliness epidemic is here. People have hundreds, thousands of friends on all the social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, so many connections, right, on LinkedIn. But real connection remains rare and elusive. And the pandemic in some ways has only worsened things. Susan's book talks about how we can reverse the growing trends of disconnection to forge meaningful connections in business and in life, because ultimately that is what supports a rich life, right? We're here to learn about our money, But before we get to our money, we have to talk about our relationships, the people we surround ourselves with that add to the quality of our lives. Susan's book walks through gathering, asking, and doing the three steps for building meaningful business relationships. And really, these are not just business relationships. We talk about how these can be relationships in all realms of your life and how this book doesn't just have business applications, but also a lot of meaning in our personal lives. Soledad O'Brien, one of my idols, broadcast journalist and producer, talks about Susan's book and she says, one of the most important lessons we can learn in this technology heavy world is how to push back against self-absorption and gadgets and make space in life for the wonders of human interaction. Susan's book is one step toward that. Here's Susan McPherson. Susan McPherson, welcome back to So Money. It's so nice to catch up. It's We were neighbors in Brooklyn and the pandemic happened. I moved. This is kind of our first time having a real chat since all of it. And you know what? It seems like yesterday. Unbelievable. It seems also like yesterday we were at your rooftop and you were discussing your book project. It was just still in the kind of incubation phase at that point. I think you were still doing the proposal. So fast forward to today, it's really special to have you on to talk about the book, which is now out. It's called The Lost Art of Connecting. Oh, hits home. (laughs) The gather, (laughs) ask, do method for building meaningful relationships. I mean, I have to ask, as you're writing this, the pandemic happens, almost gives new meaning to what you were intending to write, or was it more just reinforcement? Oh, you know, it's funny because the original thesis impetus for the book was all about the fact that we had become over-reliant on technology, had lost our humanity when it came to building connections, and literally used clicks, likes, follows as our means of measuring our, our credibility, right, When it term, in terms of con- connectivity and networking. So 
that was the proposal. Of course, obviously, once I started writing last February, a month in, the whole world changed. And that thesis became a little kind of, I guess you could say rusty, because the only means of connection we had was, you know, the clicks and the likes and the follows. But I will say now, one year later, as we are finally having that glimmer with, you know, uh, hundreds of thousands of people getting vaccinated, you know, people, not as many people suffering and dying, thankfully, we have a do-over opportunity. And when in life do you actually have a chance to reset? Do you think we've learned, though? I feel like as human beings, we tend to forget. We, we don't learn from our mistakes as, as we would like to think. And so what would you like us to reflect upon and, and think differently about when it comes to connectivity? Was this past year a complete step in the backwards direction? Or did we actually make some subtle improvements in how we interact? Look, and this morning I talked to my accountant on Zoom. I haven't ever done that. <laughs> I, don't, I couldn't even tell you what she looks like Aww. in a lineup. But now I do because this is like what we do now. We, we see I'm doing this podcast face, you know, as I see you, I used to never do that. Right. Um, I think that's probably a better thing. You know, look, there are so many silver linings. I mean, I, I don't mean to be Miss Pollyanna. Of course, it's been a tragically, um, terrifyingly sad wor- year for so many people and challenging for myself, you know, for sure. But I will say, number one, we have learned just how important our meaningful connections are, right? How important it is not to take those for granted, right? And to actually stay in touch with people, maybe people that, you know, we had kind of lost touch with or thought, oh, maybe this person isn't really going to, quote unquote, get me to the next level. Well, guess what? None of that is is even even matter. So I think in some ways it's been a level setting. I also think we all have been been made more vulnerable. And when you are open and more vulnerable, so many opportunities open up to you. So I do think there have been a lot of lessons learned. And I honestly think, I don't think we're going to all of a sudden go back and forget everything we've learned either. I, I, I think the enormity of this last year will have lasting impact. How long, I certainly can't predict. And I also think this notion of being able to see each other is a good thing. Although I also feel for people that are Zoomed out, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, certainly for those who run businesses or run companies, you don't have to be on video all day, every day, every minute. You could have written about a host of things. You're so smart. <laughs> you're so experienced. You run a business. And if, for those of you who want to learn more about Susan's background, you were on this show June of 2019. I looked it up, episode 898. And you talked all about your comeuppance and your childhood and your important work that you're doing today, consulting companies big and large on how to really create real change in the world and improve their businesses through different types of initiatives. So you could have written about anything and yet you wanted to focus on this connection piece. Why? Honestly, when I turned about 54, I'm now 56, I finally realized what my secret sauce was. And and I say that because don't ever give up on figuring out what your chief differentiating factor is, because it may take a while to find it, but it's there. And I, I realized that uh, 98% of the business of my then six-year-old company had been inbound. And there's a reason for that. It is the fact that all these years, 
I had been building meaningful, deep, reciprocal relationships. I would go so far as not call it networking. I, I, I call it the types of people that have shown up since 1985, 86, when I first started working professionally. And I realized, you know what, maybe there's something that could help be helpful to others if I put it down on paper. It offers a three-step method, your book, which again is called The Lost Art of Connecting, the gather, ask, do method. Let's start with gather. You say that instead of waiting for the perfect event to happen, think outside the box and create your own opportunity, but keep it simple. Can you elaborate? And then in a post-pandemic world, I think we're all going to be like, we're gonna. Uh, it's like, I can't wait to have people over, but I'm also like, what's the protocol? <laughs> We wear masks. Well, and I'm, I, I am not an epidemiologist. I'm not a medical worker. So I, I don't want to be advising on, you know, I would just say whatever the CDC says, follow. Yeah. Um, but I will say, I will say now is the time to start. I don't think we need to wait until, meaning we can be doing these things virtually, okay, to start to prepare ourselves. And the reason I say simple is there are many introverts who will read my book that the thought of gathering and hosting is the most terrifying thought in the world. So why I suggest start small is this is not a numbers game. This is going deep. This is surrounding yourself with maybe three people. And if you are so inclined to have each of those three people, invite one other person and voila, you have six to eight people at that point. And that actually grew out of my own FOMO in life. And yes, I think FOMO was identified once Instagram came into being. I've had FOMO since I was in high school and I turned it upside down. And instead of creating what I call JOMO and not the joy of missing out, which is your immediate inclination, but rather the joy of meeting others. Mm-hmm. And again, yes, I'm an extrovert, but even introverts enjoy meeting other people. It's a question of doing it in smaller doses, doing it in more meaningful ways um, that, that elicit the, 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 the kind of conversations that would be a lot more interesting than the weather. There's a book, if you want to do an even deeper dive on how to gather, there's a book called The Art of Gathering by yes. Priya Parker. And so this this step in your methodology reminds me of what she really deep dives into, which is you know how to yep. do that in many different ways, know your audience and go from there. Well, and she's interviewed in my book. So, oh, wow. okay. Yeah. So, there you go. There you go. <laughs> All right. All right. So, step two in your methodology is ask. And it's not about asking for help to build the relationship, but to offer it. So, tell us what how this actually works in real life. Of course, of course. And you're, of course, the immediate inclination is ask is to ask for the introduction for the job or the introduction to the, the, the board opportunity. But actually, the ask is learning to ask the right questions so that you can then be of help, so that you can then be of support. And not to the point of putting yourself second, but rather being helpful so that over your life, you are then reaping the benefits from being a helpful individual. I've always uh, thought that it's a great way to end an email or even just, you know, if it's not the purpose of the email, you know, but to always end with a line about how you can be in service of this person, like how can I help you is always a great way to keep the dialogue going in a very positive way. You couldn't have said it more succinctly or better. And I have noticed over not just this year, the pandemic, but over my lifetime, 
when you simply say to somebody, you know, what is challenging you right now? Is there anything you could use help with? Wow. Does that open up a meaningful conversation? Yeah. Oh my gosh. It reminds me of, um, years ago, obviously pre-pandemic, um, I was coming out of my maternity leave haze and I was like trying to get back into the groove of my work. And I thought, I'm just going to host these breakfasts, these monthly breakfasts. I'm going to invite a few friends. They bring a friend, you know, I pay for the scrambled eggs. It was my pleasure. And people would love to come. People love in New York City, especially, you know, a lot of people don't start work until 10 o'clock. So between like eight and 10 is a great time to invite them to a warm breakfast on their way to work. And they would come and we would do this thing where we'd go around and say, what is the one thing that we need help with? Magic would ensue, you know, relationships would would form. It was, it was like the most effortless thing. And that's the thing I want to tell people. It's like, it doesn't have to be hard. Right. Right. And you don't always have to be immediately helpful, but what you can do is if you can't help that person, you may know someone else who can. Yes. Okay. Or you may be able to help them down the road. But I believe in, and when we talk about the do, it is this notion of if, if, you know, stepping up and if you can't be helpful, that's okay, but just say so. Don't ghost people. Right. No pressure. No pressure. (laughs) But the seed has been planted, right? And you don't, you don't, you don't know when you're like, that's the thing. I've always said that, you know, this is kind of taking the other side of this equation, but if you actually are the person who needs help (laughs) to say that to someone else, say, this is what I'm looking to achieve or what I'm, whenever I've been on sort of the receiving end of that request, and I, maybe I don't know immediately how to help this person, it stays with me. (laughs) And you better believe that in six months or three weeks or whatever the time is, the opportunity for that person will present themselves because I'm now conscious of what that person needs. And I'm more than happy to include that in my, in my purview. Um, A friend of mine once said, I'm like a human CRM. What I have found is everyone you meet is like a, a, a brain cell. And this means like over time, when somebody says to you for news, gee, you know what? I really need to talk to somebody who's an expert in climate change. Chances are you might've met them, right? And then that brain cell can be activated. I mean, I'm being a little silly, but I think you just made that. Well, hey, I host a podcast. I'm sure there's somebody in the six years that if they are not the person, they know someone. So I always say hosting a podcast is... Uh, my way of uh, <laughs> c- continuing to have friendships uh, with people. Well, you you uh, you have set the bar so high, and you were doing this long before you know the two million. I think I just saw the podcasts out there. So, um, oh my gosh, still fewer than there are blogs and YouTube pages. So it's still a pretty fertile medium. But yeah, we talked about social media a little bit. And I just wanted to get your take on the whole phenomenon. And now we've got more. It's like this multi-headed monster. I can't keep up, Susan. Clubhouse. Now there's on Twitter, there's all these different te- you know, methods to, to connecting. And I'm just overwhelmed. And I wonder what's the best kind of relationship to have with social media so that you can continue to connect authentically with people. I would honestly say, what is the most comfortable to you? Um, and that may be, you know, the simplest answer. I think it's also important to go where the audiences that matter to you or the communities you wish to build, um, which may or may not be what is the most 
comfortable to you. So you may have to push to get out of your comfort zone. But Farnoosh, I'm like you. I mean, it is overwhelming and it's a lot to keep up on. But I want to make sure your listeners know you don't have to be everywhere. And quite frankly, if you try to be everywhere, you won't succeed at any of it. But it feels like that's the message that we're getting is like, if you're not everywhere, you're not omni-relevant. And, and what, but like, why should that be the goal? You know, I've always said, like, I don't want to be average to many people. I want to be significant to a few. And and so if that means Instagram is where I'm having the most fun and the most rich conversations, believe it or not, on Instagram, like that's where I'm going to hang out. And um, I'm sorry, but Twitter, LinkedIn, I can't. Yes. <laughs> it's not happening for me there. Well, look at how successful you are. How it works out. <laughs> If I could clone myself, maybe. Yeah. Because uh, it is also a matter of time. Yeah, of course. Your your last step in your three-step method is do. So I want, want you to talk to us about the doing part because, you know, you've gathered, you've asked. This is really about the maintenance, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. nurturing and staying in touch, staying connected. I, I always get stuck on how to end an email. So much of how we communicate is through email. So maybe the second part of this question is like, how do you write the perfect email? But how do you, what are some of the major tenets of the do step? The do. Well, first of all, this is not something you just do once in your life. You know, you don't gather as do. This is something that I would encourage people to do throughout their lives, throughout any time they are, have a major life change, maybe when they're moving locations, maybe moving jobs, maybe starting to serve on a board. Um, But the do, the crux of the do is if you properly ask and you properly listen, which is something we are woefully bad at, but if you listen intentionally and, um, and actually take notes, which is something I have found to be extraordinarily helpful, then you can actually follow up effectively and become reliable, dependable, um, somebody who is trusted. And I hate to say it, but known as the person who gets shit done. Okay? Mm-hmm. And you mentioned email. And of course, uh, that is, you know, our, our actual, you know, certainly professionally, the easiest way. But I sometimes think it's really important when you are in a conversation with someone, ask them, what is their favorite means of receiving information? You may be surprised. It may be a phone call. Somebody may say, you know what, in lieu of an email, why don't you call me in two weeks? And that might be an easier thing. Not only do you get the respite of having two weeks to wait, right? Um, but to me, that, that, that's an integral, um, an integral thing to do. The other thing I like to do is while it is fresh in my memory is sometimes I will um, immediately take notes. And then just as soon as I get home after meeting them or even during you know this pandemic when I've met people through Facebook chats and uh, I'm sorry, FaceTime chats and and Zooms and Microsoft Teams or whatever, um, I would write right after while it's on my mind and just say, you know, it was a real pleasure meeting with you. I'd love to schedule a virtual coffee in the next month because X, Y, Z. So being very Mm -hmm. prescriptive. And you know what? Some people will be like, oh, this person's scary. She, I don't even know her. But most people will actually be really appreciative. And um, I do think with email is, you know, get to the point, be direct. Um, no one has time for, you know, just flowery. Like, I mean, you can say it was nice to meet you, but if there's something specific that the person mentioned, it is so confirming if you can say, wow, you mentioned that restaurant that had hummus that I absolutely adore. I'm going to try it and thank you. 
Yeah, specificity. People don't go that extra mile of doing the follow-up. The this last step, I think, in your methodology is the is the one that we take most for granted, I think. And and it's so refreshing to know it's true that, you know, it is it is so appreciated and we maybe in the moment feel really, I don't know, unsure or insecure about it, you know, reaching out to somebody, but um most people are well will welcome that. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's, that's a good reminder. All right. So let's talk about loneliness epidemic. Not to open up a can of worms here, but this this book in the context of this other big problem, I suppose, that we have in our world where many people are identifying with feelings of anxiety and depression and isolation. And this pandemic is only, uh, I think, made that worse. What do you want your message to be for those people? Well, first of all, I have been alone for the last year and I have been living my greatest fear because I was lonely before this pandemic started. I've been single since 2014 and I used to travel all the time to actually deal with my the one thing I was terrified of. So um, not to say go write a book to deal with your loneliness. <laughs> I don't know if I would recommend that. But I... Journaling uh, helps. <laughs> well, yes, keeping busy, certainly. But I have to say, yes, I could have gone into a hole and, and not and not, you know, reached out to anyone, but I did the opposite. Um, I actually reached out to people more. I, I contacted friends that I hadn't been in touch with over the years, um, that maybe we were still connected on the old, you know, Facebook, LinkedIn, but I actually made a concerted effort to say, this is a difficult time. How are you doing? It's difficult for me, but why don't we get on the phone and chat? Um, and I have found that to be extraordinarily cathartic. And, you know, there were a few people who didn't respond. And yes, that sucks. Um, but in the greater scheme of things, just by reaching out, that act was helpful to me. I see your book is not just something that should sit on the business shelves at Barnes and Nobles, but really in, in it, it offers so much to the reader in the form of self-help and self-improvement and um, I don't know what what was the lens through which you were writing this book. Was it strictly for like the context of work and, and business? But I mean, truly, there's so many takeaways that we can bring back into our personal lives. Mm -hmm. Well, I you've known me for news for many years. Mm -hmm. There is not a work Susan and a personal Susan. OK, there is a one Susan. And I don't know if that's a good thing or or what, but it is what it is. And I have found that being my true self, both professionally and personally, actually has led me to have deeper relationships and actually better business relationships. And, you know, in deference to you, there's a chapter in this book all about how do we talk about money? Oh, really? uh, yes, yes. And how Okay, so let's talk about that. <laughs> what was your what was your hope for that chapter? Well, as you, I think, are so, I mean, I hate, I, you should have been writing that chapter, and I, I certainly don't even begin to want to step into your shoes. Um, but this notion is that it, when we talk about money, we open up so many barriers, and we learn so much more about each other, so that then we can actually have the real conversations. So it, it, it goes so far as to discuss that. And I talk a bit about how I became an angel investor through learning about the deep inequities we see in the monies that go to women of color and to, to women in general, 
And by investing, and you know, obviously I had the privilege to do so, but that has led me to actually get to know people on a deeper level as well. Anyhow, I, I, I do, I love your comment about the fact that this isn't just a business book and, you know, McGraw-Hill has it as a business book, so it is a business book. Yes. But, but for me to be prescriptive is a very, that is like putting on a shoe that doesn't fit. <laughs> well, you wrote, you used the word vulnerability earlier and in the context of talking about money, I mean, talk about getting naked. Oh you know my that. God. Yes. It's really hard for people to do that, but when they can and they do, it, does unleash just oh. a load of stuff that exactly. I think is mostly good. Mostly good. And again, all of this is always, you know, it is scary walking up to someone at an event that you've never met. It is scary on a Zoom line, you know, to, to, to chat with someone you've never met. But life can be scary, right? And I look back and if I think if I hadn't opened various doors or walked up and introduced myself to certain people, so much stuff wouldn't have happened. True. Do you also find that in this era of Zoom, everything all the time, that it has made you more candid and honest in your conversations? Like versus if, okay, I have relationships now with people that were always just mainly over email or perhaps a phone call once in a while, but now we're talking more in person, I can see the person, it almost puts your guard down in a way mm -hmm. like you can't escape. You're actually in this like 360 with this person. Like I'll show up on Zoom calls without makeup on, obviously. You're in your home. I'm in my home. Like I really don't care what the optics are anymore. Right. Right. Well, <laughs> my daughter's over there in the corner. <laughs> you know, it's like, and, and I think that's made us all a little bit more real with one another. And I think a very positive way. I agree with you 100%. And I hope that is one of the tenets that we will continue, honestly. And I hope we can take those that that person into the real world as well. Because do you know what? I still love you, even though you don't have makeup on, right? Right. Okay. Yeah. Now. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really, I just can't. You know, versus an email that you'll edit and you'll think about, you know, when you're just on the go talking to someone in real time, I think that you have to just be a lot more comfortable with yourself and trust that whatever happens is not going to, you know, whether that's uh, something that happens at your home or, you know, disruption or, you know, you can't hide that you're like, you have bags under your eyes because you didn't sleep the night before. All of that is now part of the context where we're, where we're connecting. I think it makes us just feel more like we're not alone. Right. Well, again, this has been a great equalizer in so many ways. And I, I you know, I want to caveat that with so many people had Yes. Tremendous trauma and death and horror, horror. I mean, I, I can't even begin. Then there's the vast majority of us who have been, you know, affected um, and had to disrupt our world. I think of you with little ones at home and trying to run a company, continue writing books, running a podcast. I mean, that's a lot to manage. But the thing is, is so many people are dealing with some disruption. So it levels the playing field when you're having conversations with people. And I should mention your book is funny. It's encouraging. I mean, it's basically Susan in a book, <laughs> in a book format. I'm so excited for you. How do you feel on the other side of this 
project. It's always such a journey. It's like a two-month pregnancy. Well, yeah. as sorry, two years, two years long, not two months. Sorry, what? I was going to say, well, considering I have never gone through pregnancy or childbirth, um, I guess I now kind of know a little bit, maybe, but uh, I, without, yeah, obviously the pain. But, uh, you know, I, I have to say it's terrifying. It's really, really scary. I, I feel like the kimono, like, you know, I've always been very open and vulnerable. Now I feel like I literally have take, you know, unzipped my dress <laughs> for the world to see. Um, and, you know, that, that that is scary. I mean, but I have to I have to step back and be like, I, I have to feel good. I have to feel proud. I, but you notice I'm putting the have in front of it, which are my own neuroses. Right. Um, but I'm I'm excited. And I hope if anything, you know, maybe it might help some people get over a few of their challenges and then I'm doing a good service. Absolutely. Susan McPherson, thank you so much. The Lost Art of Connecting. Congratulations. Thank you, Farnoosh. I just adore you and so grateful. Thanks so much to Susan for joining us. You can pick up her book, The Lost Art of Connecting, available everywhere. Check out the website, thelostartofconnecting.com. Stay tuned for Wednesday's episode when we invite Jennifer Barrett on the show. She is the author of a book called Think Like a Breadwinner. As you know, a topic near and dear to my heart. In the meantime, I hope your day is so money. Money.